Hi, I'm Don Mackey, welcome to the Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. This show is focused on providing strategies to empower community success and vitality. Each episode will feature interviews with cutting-edge rural development thought leaders and community practitioners, remarkable entrepreneurs from business, government, and nonprofits, and by sharing the learnings of E2 entrepreneurial ecosystems. Connect with me, learn more about E2, and subscribe to this show at energizingentrepreneurs.org. Welcome to this episode of Pathways to Rural Prosperity. This is Don Mackey with E2 Entrepreneurial Ecosystems, and I'll be your host for today's podcast. And Kathleen with the Ford Family Foundation, welcome to our podcast today. Thank you, Don. We're excited to be here. Thanks, Don. It, it's been such a privilege to work with you for, for so many years, and so it's an honor to be invited to participate in this podcast. Well, it's mutual. I've been sharing, and that we have a bit of history off and on working in this field, and so it's really been fun working with the foundation and Kathleen, your team, and the folks getting grow envisioned and started, so it'll be fun to share this with our audience today. I always like to start with just giving each of our guests a chance to share a little bit about your journey in getting into this field. Not everybody works in the field of rural community economic development. Both of you have a really rich history there. And so maybe, Anne, we can start with you and share a little bit about your journey, not only with the foundation, but leading up to your work with the Ford Family Foundation. Sure. So I was just calculating that I've been working for 45 years on economic development, social justice issues, focused on the well-being of women, children, and families. The first part of my career was international. I worked in Latin America and then in West Africa, originally on USAID-funded projects. And then I spent 10 years at the other Ford Foundation, the one that's based in New York. And I was, for a while, living in West Africa and the head of the office in West Africa there. From there, I moved to the Aspen Institute, where I founded and directed something called the Roundtable on Community Change, which focused on what we were learning about revitalizing distressed inner city neighborhoods. And I was there for 19 years. And while I was there, what we did is we kept track of what was working well in terms of community revitalization, what lessons we were learning about promoting positive community change and helping children and families thrive. And while we were there, we published a lot, convened a lot, and our audience was practitioners, policymakers, and philanthropy. Then after doing a lot of research and writing about it, I decided that I better start trying to implement what I thought we were learning. And so I looked for an organization that was deeply committed to working in its own community or region and tried to implement many of the lessons that we'd been learning in the field. And I'd heard about the Ford Family Foundation for many years. So when the position of the CEO became available, I jumped at it. Now, for me, the thing that was really different was the focus on rural communities. And I have to admit, I knew very little about rural America. I knew about rural Africa, more about rural Africa than I knew about rural America. So I had a lot to learn. And I've been here for nine years, and it's been the best job of my life. Well, and I think it was probably the Aspen Institute when you and I first got to know each other. A great body of work. Congratulations. Thank you. It's been a pleasure and an honor. So, Kathleen, why don't you share your story a little bit with us? Thanks, Don. I have been working in economic development for well over 20 years, and much of it took place in Indian country, focusing on Native American entrepreneurship development, the reservation-based small business economy. 
which has additional challenges not faced by other distressed communities off reservation. So it was an incredible learning opportunity focused on things like creating a, a master plan, a CDFI feasibility study, Native American chamber we launched, business training and advising, and a loan program. So it was, as I said, a tremendous learning opportunity and experience. I came to the foundation about six and a half years ago, and it has also been an incredible experience and privilege to work with economic development organizations throughout Oregon and Siskiyou County, California, and with rural communities that are working to strengthen their economies. Yeah. Well, it's been a pleasure to work with you on this initiative we'll be talking about. I know you don't call these initiatives, and so I'm going to try to make sure my language is right. And, you know, I've really enjoyed learning about the Ford Family Foundation story. I think it's such a neat story of a family that created their wealth, created economic development in rural Oregon and Northern California, and then chose to give back and create this foundation that supports rural development in those communities. And so as CEO of the foundation, share a little bit about the Ford Family Foundation story, because not everybody knows it, but I think it really speaks to the power of philanthropy and what it can mean for rural America. I am happy to do that. Thanks for that question. So the Ford Family Foundation is a private foundation with headquarters in Roseburg, Oregon, which is in Southwest Oregon. It was founded by Kenneth Ford and his wife, Hallie Ford. They amassed quite a bit of wealth in the 1950s, 60s, 70s, and 80s through the timber industry. They created a company that is now called Roseburg Forest Products. It is still one of the largest privately held timber companies in the United States, and maybe even in the world. And they were very philanthropically minded their whole their whole lives. But toward the end of their lives, they decided to establish this foundation as a formal professional staff organization to give back to the areas where they earned their wealth, which is initially Southwest Oregon and one county in Northern California, Siskiyou County, which is where they had timber holdings and timber mills. But the foundation is actually is established to focus on rural areas throughout Oregon and Siskiyou County, California. And it's interesting that we are a rural foundation. We are one of the few foundations in the entire United States that actually identifies rural as part of its mission. And as you know, fewer than 5% of philanthropic resources go to rural. So it's a very unusual foundation. We are, I think, in the top 100 in terms of size. Our endowment is currently 1.2 billion. And we really have three main strands of work. One part is that we make grants the way that most foundations do to public charities and government agencies. And we do that both responsibly, meaning communities or organizations can come to us and propose things to us, but we also design and manage and fund programs ourselves. And that is what GROW that we're talking about today is. It's one where we've designed and, and managed and fund the program. And they're always targeted in, at improving the well-being of kids and families and communities in our region. Most people in our region actually know us by our scholarship program. A big, a big part of what we do is providing scholarships, and they're very generous scholarships to students who are attending college in our region. We have a traditional scholarship program for kids who are graduating from high school and going on to four-year colleges. But we also have a lot of non-traditional scholarship programs, including one that was particularly near and dear to Halley Ford's heart, which is for single parents. And we have others for adults. 
But I think the one thing that I want to say by way of introduction to the foundation is how our values around community building. Community building is really core to who we are. And by community building, we mean that we invest in building the capacity of leaders, organizations, and communities to develop a vision for the future of their community, develop plans, implement those plans, and we support them along the way. And we really believe that once a vision for the future is developed and owned by the community, it has much more sustainability. And in fact, you, Don, working in rural areas, you know that, in fact, you can't do it any other way in rural areas. We need community volunteers, leaders, and, and workers to mobilize to create the future that they see. So it's both a sort of a value in terms of getting work done, but it's also a value in, as we think about, you know, our democracy. We think that a community works best when it works for all of its members, especially those who are most disadvantaged. So it's really core to who we are. And it was one of the things that really attracted me to this foundation. I also wanted to say that we just completed a new 10-year plan looking out to 2032, where we are taking all that we've learned over the last 25 years of our history about how to do this work well in rural areas and developed a new plan that we hope will ensure that rural children have the family, educational, and community supports they need to thrive. Yeah, it's it's just such a powerful story. And recently I was interviewed by a firm that was working with a group of national funders. And, and one of the questions they asked me was, what is the one thing, as if there is one thing, that we should be doing? And I said, well, one of the major differences is whether or not there are foundations like the Initiative Foundations in Minnesota or the Nebraska Community Foundation in my home state of Nebraska, or like the Ford Family Foundation in Oregon, that where you have institutions with that long view, you've got a 10-year vision, and take the time to build relationships with communities and people in those communities. That infrastructure is so valuable, but there's parts of the country where we don't have those kinds of assets. I couldn't agree with you more. It is so embedded in our culture that that change depends on relationships and the trust that you can build with people in communities. And we we say all the time, you have to meet communities where they are, both literally and figuratively. In other words, we have to go to communities, build relationships, build trust, build partnership, and figure out how we can work together to improve those community circumstances. And we have to go there and we have to listen to what are the priorities of the communities. And it is our job as a foundation to respond to and figure out how we can help what communities have defined as their priorities. We can't ask them to fit into our box. It is our job to go to them and figure out how we can take the range of philanthropic tools we have, which are everything from grants to scholarships, to research, to convening, and help them achieve their own goals. Absolutely. So Kathleen, your turn. You lead the foundation's community economic development work. And of course, that's where GROW, which we'll get to here in a minute for our audience is. But share a little bit about that part of the foundation's work and, and your portfolio of programming. Sure. Thanks, Don. So rural communities, as Anne said, their, their economic vitality is at the core of the work of the Community Economic Development Department. Our approach supports residents to sustainably mobilize and build assets to improve their quality of life. And we see it as a more balanced approach than traditional economic development, which is often focused on 
attraction from outside the community. And we encourage connections between local institutions and residents to identify the community priorities, the opportunities, the issues, the assets is key to success, long-term success, as Anne was saying. Our strands of work include family, financial stability, rural economic development, which is where our entrepreneurial ecosystem building work lies, and leveraging public funding. So that's a, a natural introduction to grow, growing rural Oregon. So we'll stay with you, Kathleen. Really three kind of interrelated questions. Number one, why are you and the foundation interested in entrepreneurship? How did the foundation's commitment to grow evolve? And share a little bit about the foundation's commitment to the design team, because you took almost an entire year to conceptualize GROW, which stands for Growing Rural Oregon. So let's go to that first question. And again, Anne, if you want to jump in, why, why the interest in entrepreneurship as a core economic development game plan for rural communities? Yeah, I think we'll tag team on this because Anne was here at the foundation before I started and she planted the seed with our board. Okay, I'll start, Kathleen, and then you can jump in, especially as we get to the work about GROW. So when I came here in 2013, we actually weren't doing work in the economic development field, but we were doing a lot of work to support kids and families. We were doing a lot of community building, but we hadn't been working in, in economic development. And I think to be honest, I think our board and several of our advisors thought, hmm, what is it that philanthropy can really do about economic development? Isn't that the job of the private sector? Or isn't that the job of the public sector to either support or regulate businesses? And they didn't really see a role of philanthropy. And I think we had to, we've had to build that over time and we've had to learn it. And thanks to you, Don, we've learned a lot about it. So rural Oregon, of course, as you know, is still very much a natural resource-based economy, farming, ranching, fishing, timber, et cetera. But as you know, all of those industries have undergone massive restructuring in the last 50 years due to all kinds of changes that we all know about that have led to economic stagnation, reduced employment, and so on. And those, those things are consolidation, like especially in farming with large corporations becoming more common and driving out smaller family-owned businesses. Technology, we see it a lot in our region in, in timber where sawmills are increasingly computerized. Demographics, the aging of the population, climate change, drought and wildfire, and government regulations to protect the environment. That's changed, uh, that's placed limits on logging and has changed the logging industry in our areas. And just as an example, the timber industry in Douglas County, our home county, between 1979 and 2019, there was, there's a 50% reduction in the contribution of timber to the local economy. We've gone from 8,000 jobs to 5,000 jobs, 20% reduction in real wages. So the thing is that everybody is sort of trying to figure out what's going to replace all of that. And what we were seeing, and I think this is true in other places, is that traditional economic development strategies, those led by the state, really focus on attracting businesses to replace those kinds of industries. So there's a lot of tax incentives to attract businesses. But the thing is, in our rural communities, we've had a lot of disappointing experiences with that. Those businesses might stay only until the tax incentives run out. We here in Douglas County had a call center that stayed for only a few years. And not only that, but attracting businesses doesn't necessarily create a lot of jobs. We have server farms in central Oregon. They don't create a lot of jobs. And the worst part about that approach is that it really pits one community against another. 
So we had to think about a different form of economic development for rural communities, not so much about business attraction, but focus on retaining and expanding businesses. And that's how we get to entrepreneurship. Because after all, 99% of the businesses in rural Oregon are small businesses. And so we have to think about entrepreneurship. And I will now turn it over to Kathleen about how we got involved in GROW. Yeah. And before we go there, just an illustration about the changes in these natural resource industries. I was this week doing some analysis on one of our E3 communities in Nebraska. It's a small rural county. In 1880, it had 2,500 farms. Today, it has 140 farms, and the 10 largest farms control half of the farm ground in the county. Talk about consolidation. It speaks to how automation and consolidations occurred, at least in that industry. So, Kathleen, how did GROW come about? Oh, well, I'll start with the fact that our foundation focuses on ensuring that children and have the family education and community support they need to succeed in life. And in order for families and their children to thrive, they need community systems that support socioeconomic well-being. An entrepreneurship-based strategy focusing on supports for the creation and growth of local entrepreneurs and small businesses, we believe will help create more sustainable and balanced economic growth enabling rural economies to diversify and become less dependent on those one or two industries as they have been in the past. And that will result in stronger economies, more thriving communities over time, this is long-time work, and positively impact resident well-being. Initially, when I came to the foundation, we spent a lot of time building relationships throughout the state in Northern California and working with residents across the region and supporting grantees and identifying key economic development partners. And it really became clear that Oregon has a, a fractured economic development ecosystem. And it led us to develop a strategy that addresses that fractured ecosystem to support community economic development. And I had been a follower of yours, you may or may not know, Don, for, for many years before I came to the foundation. I followed your work in Denmark, Lees as well at the Center for Rural Entrepreneurship and then subsequently E2. So I was familiar with the entrepreneurial ecosystem work and reached out to you and to Network Kansas and key colleagues throughout Oregon to kind of test this idea. Could we bring it to Oregon? And I just want to jump in and say, add one important part note to this historical record here, which is that... In 2015, I invited Don to come out to speak to our board because I was still in the process of trying to get them to commit to us walking down the economic development path. And Don, you came and you gave an incredible presentation to our board. And they were so inspired by you that you really helped open the door for us to walk this road. So thank you very much. Oregon, thank you very much. Well, and I still have vivid memories of that wonderful evening where we had dinner outside and the conversation and the hospitality. It made a really positive impression. It was the presentation and the work session was great, but boy, that evening was really special. It made a big difference. It was a catalytic moment for us. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think it speaks, you know, your focus, your your North Star is really around families and children. And, and I think this goes back to the value that 
economic development should be undertaken in a way that it enriches the people who live in our communities. And I was talking to our friends this morning in Valley County, Nebraska, which has been at this for a long time. And they have a whole new cast of characters and they had kind of forgotten their history. And I said, you know, you have to remember that in 2000, you had an average household net worth of comparable to your peer communities. But in 2020, average household net worth in Valley County was nearly $200,000 higher compared to your peer communities. And the gap between the median and the mean, which is a a metric of, of equity, has narrowed. And they go, wow. But again, a whole new generation of folks that are working in this field weren't aware of that history. But I think it's important to remember that at the end of the day, we should do this so that we enrich people's lives, their opportunities, their well-being. And I think what you're trying to do with Grow and entrepreneurship is really along that, that value lane. Yeah. I just want to say that really resonates for us, especially we have so many small towns throughout rural Oregon. And the question that we often ask is, are they dying or how can we make sure that they are places where where people want to live? And the way that the only way to do that is to make sure they have jobs, because you can't attract young families with young kids if there are no jobs. And that really becomes kind of an existential purpose for this work. Yeah, absolutely. So Kathleen, Grow has been out there for a while. You took this time to design it, launched about a year ago with a cohort of three communities. Now there's another three that are looking at it, but share a little bit about the three communities that are active in Grow, because they do represent quite a bit of diversity out of Oregon, given the complexity of, of the Oregon rural landscape. Yes, before I speak to the communities, Don, I would like to make an important point is that we formed a design team of individuals from across Oregon that had on-the-ground experience in economic development and lending, community-focused, and experience in rural. And that was critical to helping us design to grow. And that was with your encouragement that we did so. And, And I would highly recommend that process to anyone else considering implementing entrepreneurial ecosystem building framework. So in selecting the GROW communities for this first cohort, we really took a look at communities that we already work with throughout Oregon because we do so extensively and identifying those that already had a focus on entrepreneurship development for their economic development strategy And it is important that the community be broadly engaged. So we also looked for that and whether there were local champions, whether there was a financial commitment from within the community and that they engaged, you know, entrepreneurs, local officials, residents, foundations, if they are in the region and economic development organizations. And was there a serious commitment, long-term commitment to this work, because it does take time. And so those are some criteria that we looked at to begin with, and we created the community readiness self-assessment and a letter of interest request that we put out to these communities and helped us identify those that are seriously exploring entrepreneurial ecosystem as a strategy. And each community had to demonstrate that it had local leadership, entrepreneurs, someone locally 
whose responsibility it is to coordinate, lead the work, and a financial commitment. So we started with three communities, Klamath Falls, John Day, and Independence, and more recently, St. Helens has joined the cohort. Each community has at a different stage in their ecosystem building efforts, with two of them early stage and two mid-stage that have been doing this work for a while. Yeah, I mean, it really does represent, and of course, John Day, it's interesting, started with just the community. John Day, for those who aren't familiar with geography out on the Eastern Plains, a relatively small community and a very large geography. And I think one of the neat developments there is their decision to go countywide to include other communities. And it speaks to the fact that we've got to be flexible and let the communities determine what makes sense. And I think that'll be a real asset for Grant County and John Day and the communities there to really work together to kind of get that critical mass given the sparse population in that part of Oregon. So kind of a neat development. And that's one of the things that appealed to us with the framework that you've developed is that the community leads, you know, this work, but they can come into the framework at various stages. Some will be you know, beginners and start and work all the way through the framework and others are further along, but they're really identifying their ecosystem and figuring out their vision for the future and adapting the framework to fit their needs. Absolutely. So as I said, this goes really fast. We need to wrap up pretty soon, but kind of want to touch on two final things. And so, Anne, you know, we've gone through this stressful period of the pandemic. The foundation had to make adjustments. Grow had to make adjustments. Um, And of course, you know, stress in rural America is not new. There's wildfires and other events that have challenged our communities. But I'm curious, as you've done your planning, how is the foundation positioning itself to be more resilient so it can help communities become more resilient with the assumption that these stressful events are going to be with us forever and we need to be able to not only survive them, but thrive through them if we can? That's such a great question, Don, because you're absolutely right about these crises. In fact, we recently received special allocation from our board that's an annual allocation for responding to crises. And it was because we came to the realization that every year since I've been here, there has been one crisis or another. And we jokingly say that there's no causal connection there. But, you know, we've had snow, we've had flooding, we've had wildfires, we had a mass shooting on our local campus and so on. And so with that, I think it goes back to, I think, our incredible commitment to this value of community building. And this is why we believe that GROW is so great, because GROW is based on seeking out where there's community energy and supporting it and building on that. That's sort of number one. And number two is thinking comprehensively about the assets of a community that have to be mobilized in order to ensure community vitality, resilience, and so on. And so we have to mobilize every asset across public, private, and nonprofit sectors. And GROW thinks about that, education, infrastructure, natural resources, and has this collaborative approach. And I think ultimately that's going to be the key to community resilience and community success over the long run. Great. So Kathleen, final question to you, and then we'll wrap. This podcast will be released about the time that you're having your first 
in-person grow convening that's coming up in September. And so what are some of the highlights of what you're hoping to accomplish as the communities that are part of grow as your other partners come together to learn from each other and share? Yes, unfortunately, due to COVID, this will be our, our first time to come together in person. We've had to put it off for a while, and we're really excited to gather in Oregon in September. And so some of the things that we'll be touching on will be the community building approach that Anne has referred to and how how those that are working in the GROW cohort can broadly engage the community in this work and also about how they can advocate for themselves locally for that support, but also with the state legislature. And we'll be talking about lending. We have a new seated revolving loan fund account, or excuse me, program for this work. And so we'll be sharing information about that. The communities themselves will be sharing their stories, their first years, and and reporting out to each other and to all of us. And and importantly, they will be networking and getting an opportunity for peer learning that we haven't had because we haven't been able to meet in person. Well, I know our team's looking forward to being there. I'm sorry I won't be, but I'll join Electronic for one of the sessions, and so I'll get a bit of a flavor. And so Anne and Kathleen... Thank you for being my guest today. Thank you, Don. Thank you, Don. So, folks, as we wrap up this edition of Pathways to Rural Prosperity, I want to remind you of some of the resources we make available. Of course, our website, energizingentrepreneurs.org, is your go-to. You can find many of the resources there. You can join our national E2 Practitioners Network, where you can access all of the tools that we have available. You can sign up for our electronic newsletter, which will give you an idea of new information that's coming out monthly. And, of course, you can access all of our podcasts that we've produced. Specific to this podcast, we're going to have three resources available. Thanks to Kathleen's help and others, we will have a story about GROW and the Ford Family Foundation. We'll share some information on where you can learn more about the Ford Family Foundation. And of course, we'll share our entrepreneurial ecosystem building paper that talks about the framework that is already being innovated on and customized in Oregon, but was a starting point for discussion. So on behalf of our guests today, all our best to our listeners and your efforts to grow a stronger rural America, one community at a time. Thank you and take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. Head on over to energizingentrepreneurs.org where you can subscribe to this podcast and tap into more than 25 years of field experience from E2 Entrepreneurial Ecosystems. I'm Don Mackey, and I'll see you next time on Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast.